Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn, and I'm a WCT certified educator, and in this podcast, I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties, and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine. This is the second episode on my series on the Balkan states and their wines. At least that's how I termed it, the Balkan states, but a listener did write in to me to point out that I wasn't talking about Greece, Romania or Bulgaria in this series, which are considered part of the Balkan states, which I have to confess I hadn't actually realised, and that my series sounded much more like the former countries of the of Yugoslavia, which is absolutely true. That's, this is what this series is actually about, the former countries of Yugoslavia, which broke up in the 1990s, and maybe I'll also include Albania too. But the fact that Greece is part of the Balkan states explains why they argue with Macedonia over that name for many years, although it's finally been agreed. The other reason I haven't included those countries in this series is because I do already have episodes on Greece, Romania and Bulgaria. And in fact, the series on Greece is a five-part interview with a Greek importer here in the US, which I think is about as deep an overview of uh, Greek wine as you can possibly find, and um, very interesting, not because of me, but because of who I was interviewing. So there's information on my podcast about Greece, Romania, and Bulgaria already. Here I'm focusing on the former Yugoslavia states, and the first episode was on Slovenia, that's already up, and this episode is going to be on Croatia, which is just south of Slovenia. And whereas Slovenia transformed peacefully from withdrawing from Yugoslavia to become its own independent country. Croatia did not, and with Bosnia was the centre of the horrific civil war which raged throughout the 1990s. But thankfully, um, Croatia has recovered from that civil war, more or less, and is now quite an affluent country. It's part of the European Union, so very firmly part of uh, Western Europe. But the legacy of the civil war still um, lingers, unfortunately. And its wines are not as widely known as uh, perhaps they should be, because wine has been made there for a very long time. But because of historical events, not just the civil war, but also communism in the um, 20th century, Croatia kind of got left behind, and now it's really trying to find its place on the map of European wine. And there are lots of indigenous varieties as well as international varieties, which we'll look at in this episode, which shows how Croatia is just trying to do that. So an overview of Croatia. Um, in Croatia it's called Hrvatska, and generally there are two climates for Croatian grape growing and winemaking. There is the coastal region along the Adriatic Sea, uh, in which there are many islands as well. There's over 1,400 islands off the coast of Croatia, and some of them make wine, and very important wine in terms of the country's production as well. And this coast and the islands are very beautiful, and attracts lots of tourists. So Croatia has a population of just over 4 million, but it attracts over 10 million tourists a year, so over two and a half times as many tourists as there are local residents in the country. So extremely important to the industry and to the country. And a lot of those tourists are visiting the coast and the islands. So though um, the wine production of the coast and of the islands is only 41% of production, that's what tourists have been exposed to. And if you find Croatian wine internationally, it's often from the coast or from the islands for that reason. Then going further inland, the climate is continental, so quite different, and this accounts for 59% of production. Croatia, like a lot of the countries that we're discussing in this series, has a very fragmented uh, growing culture. There are 60,000 growers and producers. Most of them have small holdings, so very fragmented, which of course makes it difficult to 
creates a strong identity for the wine industry when there are so many fragmented holdings. However, uh, 30% and more of production is by one producer called Agrocore. So they do provide a quite a solid um, representation of Croatian wine, but arguably the smaller producers are much more interesting. So it is a case of them uh, joining together to promote their different regions and styles of wine, even if their production is quite small. So a brief history of uh, Croatia. Modern grape growing began under the Habsburg Empire in the 19th century. Previously had been part of the Ottoman Empire, which restricted um, grape growing and winemaking. But under the Habsburg area, it grew until phylloxera hit Croatia, which um, suffered quite badly. And then after that, the 20th century was dominated by war and communist rule. And under communism, Croatia had um, centralised collectives making wine rather than small independent producers. No real emphasis on quality. And then with the civil war in the 1990s, the big legacy now is that a lot of land is still considered to be minefields. In 2013, so 10 years ago, 630 kilometres of agricultural land were classed as minefields, so very dangerous. And so there is that legacy in Croatia in having to farm the land very, very carefully and being aware of what might be under the land. Croatia has also received quite a lot of publicity in recent years because of Zinfandel. So back in the 1990s, Zinfandel was found to have the same DNA as Primitivo in Italy, in Puglia, southern Italy, which drew a lot of attention to Puglia, a poor, rural, neglected region, and Primitivo has become much more planted because of that. But they're not exactly the same grape variety, they're just very closely related, and so more research was done. And in 2002, there were nine vines found in a small village in Croatia, which were also DNA identical to Zinfandel. And the relationship between the vines that they found in Zinfandel meant that they had a common parent, and this was discovered to be Tribdidrag, eventually, which is a Croatian black grape variety grown slightly further inland. And that is the origin of Zinfandel, brought to California in the 1850s when its origins had been lost, and probably brought to southern Italy in the 18th century. So Croatia does have this um, important international presence in terms of being the founding origin of Zinfandel, California's signature grape variety, and that's brought much more attention to Croatia and its wines, as well as the um, tourism and tasting local wines too. So Croatia is divided into four large wine regions. Uh, they used to have quite complicated Croatian names, but they've simplified it a bit to help uh, purchasing and con consumption. And there are two inland areas. One is called Croatian Uplands and Slavonia, and the other is called Croatian Danube. And then there are two coastal areas, Istria and Kavana, and Dalmatia, further to the south. And these areas are divided into 12 subregions and 61 wine districts. And then there are three wine categories. Premium quality wines are called Vrunsko Vino. Quality wines are called Cavatetetno Vino. And these are both classified as PDOs under the EU um, classifications. And then there are table wines, which are called Stolno Vino, which are unlikely to be found outside of the country. There are an estimated 200 different grape varieties planted in Croatia, with about 40 of them identified as indigenous. And indigenous is a bit complicated because Croatia, especially coastal Croatia, has a strong geographical and cultural and climatic relationship with Slovenia to the north and also Friuli to the northwest, which is in northeast Italy. So as discussed in the episode on Slovenia, Slovenia has a strong relationship with Friuli, a lot of overlaps between the two, as does uh, coastal 
north coastal um, Croatia, particularly Istria, which actually used to belong to Italy. So quite a few of the grape varieties uh, discussed in this episode will also be found in Slovenia and northeast Italy too, but indigenous to that area. Think of them as Adriatic grape varieties rather than particular to one country. So let's look through these different regions, starting with Istria and Varna. Uh, so this region has a mild climate, has Mediterranean influences because it's on the Adriatic Sea, but there is cold air flowing down from the Alps. So a very nice mixture of the warm influence of uh, the Mediterranean climate, but cooling influence from the Alps. And its climate and its culture very um, shared with um, northeast Italy and Slovenia, as mentioned. The soils are iron-rich and therefore quite red, and most of the wine is white, particularly from Malvasia Istarska, which is the same as Malvasia Istriana in Italy, which is grown in Friuli. And so part of the Malvasia family, um, you can listen to my episode on, Mal on the Malvasia family, there are 18 different versions of Malvasia, many of them not actually related to each other, just given that name uh, because it's an historic way of naming a grape variety. But this uh, particular version, Malvasia Istasca or Malvasia Istriana, is local to the Adriatic regions of Croatia and um, Friuli. It is the third most planted variety in Croatia with nearly 2,000 hectares. And it's made in lots of different styles, which is a bit confusing. It can be made without oak for a fresh, fruity style with apple and peach aromas. It can also be picked late and vinified with skin contact for a fuller style, more phenolic, a bit more bitter, balancing those fresh, floral, fruity aromatics. And it can also be aged in barrels, often acacia rather than oak. But in all these cases, it generally has a bit of a honeyed tang to it and has that rich floral aromatics, which is associated with Malvasia family in general. Downside for Malvasia Istaka is that it can be high in alcohol. And this can be a problem with Croatian wines in general. The alcohol can build up quite a lot. In Istria and Gavana, the reds are less important, but there is a variety called Taran, which is also called Torano, and Rifosk in Slovenia, which means it can be confused with Rifosco in Friuli, but it's a completely different grape variety. And it's also called um, Rifos de Istria, and also it's grown in Emilia-Romagna, where it's called Canina. So again, that Adriatic shared influence with this grape variety. And it can make elegant, fresh wines with firm tannins, that can be a little tart sometimes. And the name of the grape variety is in dispute with uh, Slovenia, which has registered Tehran as a protected term. But the fact that this grape variety is grown throughout Croatia, Slovenia, Friuli, and Emilia-Romagna, the, the names can be confusing. I think we should champion the styles of wine made from the grape varieties, being particular to those regions, rather than argue about what it should be called. And there's 480 hectares planted in Croatia, in the Istria-Kvarna region. There's also Merlot, which is sometimes blended with Tehran. And then there's a great variety called Muscat Mongyanski, um, which is indigenous and found locally. And it's usually a medium sweet or sweet white, and is usually just found in the area. And then there's the island of Krk, K-R-K, no vowels. And their speciality is the delicate white gelatina, 
which is a high-yielding grape variety, and it has been revived since the 1990s, and there is a clonal project to help um, identify the best versions of this grape variety, maybe limiting yields but maintaining quality, and replanting those clones to revive the grape variety. And it's dry white wine and very refreshing, and there's also some sparkling wine made from Shalatina too. Moving further south to Dalmatia, which goes all the way to the border in the south with Montenegro. And here the islands are very important, and there's four in particular, Kochula, Havar, Vis, and Brash. And here the vineyards are steep and rocky. The summers are sunny, and there's quite a lot of indigenous varieties really giving identity to these wines. So the second most planted grape variety in Croatia is Plavak Mali, which is related to Tribdudrag and therefore to Zinfandel, but it is different. And it has over 2,000 hectares of plantings. And um, there are two appellations for um, Plavak Mali, Dingach and Postup, from the seaside terraces of the peninsula, and also the island of Hva. And those best wines are on the steep, sandy terraces above the Adriatic, and sometimes these wines can be off-dry to balance the tannins. Then there's also Krielniak Kastrzelanski, which is the vine which is initially identified as being the same as Zinfandel. There were just nine vines at the village of Kastela, which is near Split, which was discovered in 2002, shown by DNA profiling to be Zinfandel but descended from Tribudrag. And Tribudrag is the grape variety which has a lot of descendants in the indigenous Croatian grape varieties. And Trelnag Kastelanski just simply means black grape from the village of Kastela. No one really knew what it was called. There are only nine vines. But it's been planted uh, much more widely uh, because of its identification and association with Zinfandel. So a very important discovery. And this now, great variety, which is still named Kraunak Kastelanski, is one that you may find internationally because of its association with Zinfandel. Not quite as fruity or ripe, a bit more tannic, not quite in high in, has, as high in alcohol. Very interesting comparison with Zinfandel, because it still has that floral, spicy, kind of blueberry um, aromas to it. And Kraunak Kastelanski is a parent of Plavak Mali, so all part of that. Zinfandel-associated family. Another great variety in Dalmatia is Babich, which is also grown on stony vineyards on the coast near Shibinik and also the hillsides of Primersten, which is UNESCO-listed. And this has also been planted more widely um, as its quality has been um, identified. It has deep colours, quite peppery in its aromas. Its tannins are soft, so it's often drunk quite young, but there are more serious examples which are aged in oak uh, for more complexity and for longer aging in the bottle. Then moving back to white wine in Dalmatia, Poship, to give it what it's normally called, but its full name is Poship Bieli, and it's the most important white wine grape in Dalmatia, and it's producing uh, pretty interesting wines, particularly on the island of Kochula, which is where it comes from, and also the islands of Havar and Braksh. And it produces quite full-bodied wines, which are fresh and rich and ripe. And there's 450 hectares of this grape variety planted. And then there are even more obscure white grape varieties planted in Dalmatia, including Gruk, which literally means Greek, although it probably does not come from Greece. Another word with no vowels in it, G-R-K. It's rare, it's high quality, quite rich, but it does have high acidity. There's Debit, which I have seen um, sold here in California, which has high yields. And the name debit refers to debt, and because it has high yields, those yields pay off the debt of the grower, and is fresh with green fruit aromas. Vugava, 
which is intense, high in alcohol and aromatic. It's been likened to Viognier, although there is no relationship. Bognaduja, which is light and fresh. Gegic, which has irregular yields and therefore is not planted that much. And Marishtina, which is actually Malvasia Bianca Lunga, so another member of the Malvasia family. Malvasia Bianca Lunga is used for Vinsanto in Tuscany. Uh, but here it's called Marishtina, and it's full-bodied but lacks acidity, which can be a problem with some of the Malvasia family. There's also a wine traditionally called Prozac, which is made on the islands of Havar and Brash, mainly for home and local consumption. Uh, producers of Prosecco in Italy have objected, as they do to any anyone who dares use the word, any word that looks like Prosecco, even though Prosecco is pretty much made up. Then we go inland to Slavonia and Croatian Danube. The most important white wine grape is planted here, which is Grajevina, which is actually Welsh Riesling, and there's five and a half thousand hectares of Welsh Riesling planted, often for quite simple everyday drinking wines. Welsh Riesling, in general, is a great variety which is perhaps underappreciated because it can produce very good wines and certainly very good sweet wines. Likewise in Croatia, it's often for simple wines, everyday drinking wines, but at its best around the historic town of Kutjevo. Also planted in this region is Traminac, which is Gewurztraminer, which can also be very good, especially around Ilok. And within um, this region, the autumns are long and warm, and so that does encourage the production of sweet wines and late harvest white wines, which can be extremely good. It's a flat region with plains, and there are some low hills moving up into the northeast in the foothills of the Frushka Gora range. As well as Grashevina and Traminac, there are international varieties which are more recently planted, such as Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc, which have been uh, quite successful. There's also red wine made, particularly Frankovka, which is Blaufrankish. So we can see that there is a connection with not just Slovenia, which does have Blaufrankish planted as well, and Italy, but also um, Austria and Hungary too. Other international black grape varieties which have been planted include Pinot Noir, which is called Pinot Srini, Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. And the region of Slavonia is also famous for its oak. So when you learn about Italian wine, particularly in northern Italy, and particularly Barolo and Barbaresco, you'll, hear, you'll see Slavonian oak being referenced, which has been used for centuries to age the wines in large oak casks called botti. And this is where the oak comes from. So again, another connection with Italy. And then finally, Croatian upland, which surrounds the capital city of Zagreb. And this is the coolest zone. And there are lots of small family vineyards in this zone on green hillsides. So different from Slavonia and Croatian Danube, which is plains, this is more hillside based, but very small fragmented plantings. And international white grapes dominate plantings here. There's Sauvignon Blanc, which is fresh and zesty. There's Riesling, which is crisp. And also some Pinot Gris and also Pinot Noir, uh, particularly in Plashivica and Zagoye in the north. And so very international in their plantings. So familiar styles for international audiences. And there's also some ice wine made in this region as well, which has got good reviews. Another connection with Hungary is ferment, which is called Moslovak, which is also grown and will be labelled as Moslovak, but it is ferment. And there's also a local variety called Schrölet, which has been revived since the 1990s and produces light, fresh, delicate wines, quite simple, but fresh and fruity. And that's found in the Moslovina district. So Croatia 
Small country of four million people and a little bit more. Lots of tourists visiting the coast and the islands where it's very beautiful. Two distinct um, growing climates, the coastal Mediterranean-influenced regions and then the continental inland regions, producing quite different styles of wine. Lots of white wine made, but also red wine too. And we've got the indigenous varieties, varieties which are shared with neighbouring countries, and then international varieties which will be more familiar to the general consumer. So Croatia has definitely benefited from joining the EU and also the number of tourists that it receives uh, throughout the year, especially on the coast, which increases the familiarity with the wines. And people do come back from Croatia quite excited by the quality and styles of wine that they have tried, particularly the white wines in the warm summer weather. However, Croatian wine internationally can be quite expensive and it can be difficult for Croatian wine to compete with all the many countries around the world producing wine at maybe slightly lower costs. And so I think with Croatian wine, you do have to kind of really want to buy it and drink it if you're going to pay a little bit more for it. And having visited the country where it will be a little bit cheaper, it remains to be seen with how, how much people retain their buying habits when they return to countries like the UK, where the wines are more expensive than other alternatives. So still, but not necessarily an uphill struggle for Croatia, but it's got a lot of competition internationally. And so it still needs to find a stage for its wines internationally. So that's Croatia. Thank you for listening. I'm Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn and I'm a WCT Certified Educator and in this podcast I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine.